Hello and welcome back to the other 99% podcast where we take a step back from the 1% marginal gains that society has become obsessed with and instead focus on the other 99%. Throughout this series, we'll discuss all things related to self-actualization and becoming the very best possible version of yourself. I'm your co-host Tom Osmond, as always joined by George Cook. Hello, welcome back. Welcome back. Did we, we missed a week, didn't we? Uh, yeah, we did. We did miss a week. Um, we'll call it preparation week. Yeah, which we have actually done this week. Which, yeah, which has been good. I can't remember the last time we prepped for an episode. When we're nothing if not consistent. <laughs> <laughs> um, how has well, how has your few weeks been? Yeah, all right. Um, we were talking before we came on. Um, been a bit difficult with the family stuff recently. Um, we lost one of my grandmas. Um, who's quite old. Um, you know, there's lots of things you can say about that, but ultimately, it's sad. Um, she had a great life, but you know it's difficult for for everyone left behind to kind of cope with that. So do you know what that has been difficult? Um, been at work for pretty much all of that, which has been good and bad. I think that keeping busy is pr- pretty important. Um, but just trying to you know it sounds a bit silly, I think, but just trying to employ some of the things we talk about on here. Really, you know, um, I've gone back to meditating as a way of bit of regulation, which I found really useful. Um, with a new app, which has been great, because it's like three minutes for each one, so you can just just do it really quickly. Um, and yeah, training's been training's been a good motivator and a good sort of distraction doing the marathon in. I think it's like four and a half, five weeks now. Um, nice. I've got a bit of a calf niggle, which is inconvenient, but I think I've done most of the long runs I need to do. So I've got one more long run left um, between now and then. Um, so I'm hoping. That, that that's enough um been back in the cold water this morning it's under 10 degrees for the first time this season which is pretty nippy um but yeah it was good fun what um what meditation app are you using it's called simple mind i've not heard of that one yeah and you can pick like what you want to work on i've, I've only picked one thing i think it was called like mental resilience or something like that um because it sounded the most focused of all their titles but you can pick anything on there and it takes you through like a 30 day um thing. Okay, cool. Yeah, which which is quite cool. For for three minutes like concentration, it, it's totally worth it. What um and what what's your longest run so far and what's your next long run before the marathon? I did um twenty seven kilometers two weeks ago. Um, but it was three and a half hours because it was on the trails and it was um savagely hilly. Um, I think we had like seven or 800 meters of elevation in that, whereas the marathon will be flat. So when I say long run, I mean, in terms of time instead of distance, um, yeah. is how I've measured that one. So three and a half hours is the longest one so far, um, which was actually amazing. Hardly saw any people while we were out there. Um, and then I've got one more, which I'll try and do a road 30, um, which won't be as exciting, uh, or as scenic, but I think it's quite necessary to get a few concrete miles in the legs just ahead of doing a, a road marathon really. Yeah. Yeah. And still enjoying the cold water then? Yeah, loving it, loving it. Um, Gaining with confidence every single day or like every single time I get in. Um, To get the first one under 10 degrees already in the season is really early. Like last year we didn't, we were hitting like eight degrees in sort of February. So um, I think it's going to be quite a cold one, which is great. And the community is really good and there's lots of people down there. Um, But today was a bit of a shock to the system, I'll be honest. Yeah, yeah. And then I always forget, have you done a marathon before or have you done? Yeah, I've done a couple yeah. before, but not for oh, yeah. a decade. Yeah, yeah, nice. 
Um, and plans to, yeah, you said four and a half weeks, so before Christmas. Yes, 10th of December is the day. You're just going to run it, aren't you? You're not doing it. Yeah, so going to a mate's place in Clapham, uh, he's a very fit bloke, so we're going to run from Clapham and then sort of head around Richmond and then come back out to Box Hill where I'm living at the moment, which is the marathon distance. So it's a sort of point to point, which is quite nice, not having to do a loop or there and back. You're doing it with Kellum? Yeah, Kellum's going to pop along as well. He did his 100k. Okay. Um, yeah. His 100k effort around a running track. He did say he was going to do something like that when he came on the pod. Um, you ran 100k around a running track? You ran 100k around a running track, yeah. How many laps is that? Uh, I don't. I guess it depends what lane you're in, but lots. Yeah. What should we work it on? Well, 400 would be the smallest, wouldn't it? And 10 laps, therefore, is 4K times 10 is 100 laps, which would be... 250 laps. Yeah. Boring as anything. Did he enjoy it? No? <laughs> I think he's enjoyed having finished it. Is that on his Strava? I'm going to have a look at it. Yeah, it is. And he was very... Um, very modest about it. I think he just called it like solo ultra. Solo ultra. Yeah, I mean that's very much ultra 100k, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. God, I couldn't imagine doing that. No, I'm gonna get dizzy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, should we go into today's topic? Yeah. Um, we're looking at we're sort of getting out of our lane a little bit here, aren't we? We're we're talking about free will and yeah and whether it exists or whether it doesn't before you started reading this book what camp were you in um well so i i first heard sam harris talk about i've mentioned this on the podcast before actually i first heard sam harris talk about this about i want to say four years ago maybe five years ago um and he always spoke about the illusion of free will and argued against free will um and at the time i thought no you definitely you definitely choose what you want to do. I think at the time I was going through that part of my life where I wasn't particularly happy and I just read a lot of Jimmy Carr's work on personal responsibility. And I thought, yeah, if you like you're responsible for your own life and you can make choices and actions and decisions that change your life for the better. So I think at the time I just wasn't in that headspace where I thought that could even be a thing. Um and now um I'm probably more on board with that idea now and we haven't finished all of this new book by Robert Sapolsky but what he says does make a lot of sense to me yeah I think it makes a lot of sense I'd like to just just kick off like I think some people be put off by reading the book and you said the comments on it were like easily digestible easy read those people just need to fuck off like this yeah it's not, it's not, easy it's not easily digestible it's not an easy read. It's really complicated. I mean, this bloke is a an uber genius, isn't he? he won the MacArthur yeah. Genius Grant, and he's super clever. And although I think he's tried to make it as accessible as possible, it's still pretty tough to kind of comprehend it all, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Like, well, I think I'm slightly ahead of you, haven't you? So there's some some parts that just went over my head, but I think I've got the like. I think I can give a good summary of what his argument is. Yeah, I mean, I highlighted one of the first lines in the book. Um, because he's obviously very much arguing against the the presence of free will, and he says we are nothing more or less than the cumulative biological and environmental luck over which we had no control that has brought us to any moment. Yeah, we are we are literally nothing apart from our environment and the genes that we have. Yeah, yeah I was going to say, I was, like, I think that's the best simplification of it. You are the product of whatever your genes are 
yeah. and then the environment you've been exposed to. Yeah, 100%. and a lot, a lot of that is he he talks. Obviously, he's worked a lot in crime, yeah. and the it's quite um. Well, it's a really interesting thought process because you could look at someone that's committed a crime and think, God, how could they do that? But then if you put yourself in their position, you more than likely would end up doing the same thing. Yeah, for sure. Um, I don't know if I made notes about it later or whether I was listening to, um, I think, in a separate podcast on the Modern Wisdom one that you put me onto, where the stress levels of a mother in the third trimester essentially determine... Um, like how susceptible to to stress and anger and anxiety your child will be yeah and yeah. therefore socioeconomic level because that's one of the greatest causes of stress for people your socioeconomic level before you're even born determines how your brain is going to function and respond to different situations yeah that's yeah. insane yeah and then well, the parts I find really interesting is, and because Sam Harris's argument about the illusion of free will never made any sense to me until I read this part of the book. Yeah. And the studies they've done where you, you might have to correct me, but it was something like this. I might make it up a little bit, but you'll get the idea. <laughs> so they did a few studies where you had two lights in front of you and you could press either left or right or A and B, whatever they called it. And then they recorded the time from when your signal so how muscle contraction works i understand this physiology so like yeah. the, the way you contract the muscles you send a signal from your brain travels down your spinal cord crosses the junction to contract your muscle so they measured from when the signal from your brain got sent to press the button and they also asked the participant to record when they decided to press the button yeah the signal was getting sent from their brain to press the button before they had that illusion of free will of making the choice to press which button. And when I read that, then the whole argument of the illusion of free will made a lot of sense to me. Yeah, so that um, that little brain flutter, um, the readiness potential, they referred to it as uh, um, occurred 300 milliseconds before people realised that they decided to do something. And then they took this a little bit further where they changed the magnetic field and they could predict with 100% certainty which button you were going to press um, by manipulating your brain. But they hadn't told the participants that that's what was going on. So you felt like you were choosing to push button A, but actually you were being told to push button A. You just you just didn't know it. Yeah, yeah. But it is, it's a really, really interesting read. I'd encourage people to go and read it. Um, what was I going to say then? The the other thing I found really interesting is a lot of it is dictated. So let's talk about obesity because it's kind of relevant to what we talk about on this podcast. But people look at obese people and say they've made the choice to eat all of that. Then if you look at the biology of it and their leptin, I always get leptin the wrong way around. I think high leptin levels um, gives you less of a hunger signal so i think it's when your leptin levels are low that's when it gives you the hunger signal might be the other way around to that but whatever so yeah people look at these obese individuals and say they're making the choice to eat those foods but actually it's probably just based on their leptin levels and that is their genes that's giving them that hunger signal to go and eat so looking at stuff from that lens just completely flips it because they're probably not making those choices that's just what their genes and their environment are making them do um and you, you look at one of the things that why we have so much obesity now is because we're in really calorie rich or calorie dense environments all of the time. 
and that removes a lot of your choice from that because it's yeah. you, like you can't biology is always going to win because we don't have that same so it's um your leptin and your ghrelin so your leptin was your regulator um and lots of ghrelin basically means that you um just eat almost non-stop but that doesn't exist in you know areas of extreme poverty because the environment doesn't allow for you to, yeah. to give into that because it just doesn't exist and he gave a really nice um analogy of uh, a graduation ceremony where people are sort of standing around and hugging each other and saying congratulations you graduated etc etc and there's someone um emptying the bins behind and no one takes any notice of this person but actually the only difference between the person emptying the bins and the person graduating was their upbringing and the fact that they grew up um without as many books without as much encouragement without as much um perhaps positive reinforcement or love if you like and the teachers didn't you know create this environment of learning and therefore that's what they're doing and this is what the graduates doing because they had all of those things you know without them they wouldn't be standing there yeah yeah it was, it was, it was a good part of that that book and then because they spoke about um it's really hard for the person who's in the graduation shoes to not try and take credit for it yeah the for the person that goes to harvard they've got this is all down to my hard work and the effort i've put in um but they were saying you, you should actually just be grateful for the opportunities you've got yeah is so if we're going down the route that free will is actually a myth then and you know the, the other interesting thing i found was you because they they speak about where thoughts arise from and you've got no idea what you're going to think about next until that thought comes up and yeah another i found that another interesting way to think about free will is you don't know what is going to come into your head next and I, then thoughts become actions actions become habits so that I've, i found that like an interesting way to look at it as well my my thought with it is though is you know we're going out for the afternoon we've made a decision to do that i i don't see how the genetics and the environment stop you from doing those things or do you make the argument that because of the way we're brought up and the environment we live in now that that then causes you to want to go to these and like do these yeah. things is that yeah, how yeah exactly that so you always go like back a step further it's, it's called determined the, the whole yeah. uh model i guess is deterministic so everything is predetermined by that step before it and then when you go all the way back like you don't determine like you've got no choice over those very first steps and then determine the whole of the rest of your life yeah it's essentially like a super big butterfly effect do you think that because before i read this if someone said do you have control over your life and control over your actions i would say yes and do you think that this book potentially removes effort from people? No, because I think that effort is probably already determined as well. Because if we go for that graduate, that graduate has decided to work hard. Or do we think that the ability to work hard and the decision to work hard is also determined? Yeah, it's all, it's all determined. That's what I think. I'm, I'm, I Even though I, I think I understand the concept of this, I still struggle to wrap my head around some of the examples because say say we're i would describe us both as quite motivated to go and do well in life yeah um if you now went do you know what? i'm not going to try like i don't think you can make yourself just not try yeah i think i right. think about this before we started recording so then you will still make the effort 
whether you make the effort or not is probably out of your control in a way. Okay. I think I can get my head around that. But then it's also really hard to then go, okay, what if people whose life isn't going that well, they make a... You hear about people turning their life around all the time. Yeah. Um, Which then it gets hard to argue against because people say, well, they've taken responsibility for their life and they've turned things around and they've made decisions to change that. But again, like you could just argue that all of that is determined and I'm probably leaning towards more of that side. Yeah. Because when you then look at some of the other impacts that the environment has on the biology and i could i found this one quite useful as an example because it it was concrete and it had numbers so they looked at um analyzing the judicial system and measuring how long it had been since judges had eaten and then the leniency or the yeah the leniency with which they showed in their decision making and the longer it had been since judges had eaten the less likely they were to give or grant parole. So you've got more parole being given in the morning. And then by the end of the day, there was almost no chance of parole being given because the, the empathy had just been suppressed by the lack of, well, glucose in, in the system. Yeah. And it, it was the same for, if they found out like, it was their birthday, they were more likely to give a less severe sentence. Yeah. Um, it's the same on like level of attractiveness. So more attractive people got less harsh sentences. Yeah. So there's all these factors that go into the decision people make that they're definitely not conscious of. Yeah, I don't think that's deliberate. But do you think the illusion of free will is the same as having free will? No. Because we're not aware, or I certainly wasn't aware before I started reading this, that free will doesn't exist. And, but I've always believed that it does. And I've always believed that these things were a choice. And when I've made hard decisions that I haven't wanted to do, because you can see the long-term benefit of them, you know, exercising, taking care of your body, eating the right food, those are decisions that you make. And do you think that believing that they're your choice increases your level of agency? Yeah, that's a really good question. So the, the, I think the illusion of free will is definitely different to free will. Because when people believe they have no, they have no say and they have no other choice, and we've seen this in studies with rats and things like that. Yeah, the learned helplessness. Yeah, the learned helplessness for sure. So how how is this different? How are we going to stop learned helplessness if we accept that this? I'm going to call it a theory at this stage because. I don't think it's been widely accepted as concrete fact. Yeah. 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 You know, I, thought exactly, I thought exactly the same thing because it almost does give you that. Um, it almost does give you that sense of learned helplessness. It's like no, no matter what I do, that's going to be the outcome and I'm probably not going to change it anyway. Yeah. The, because when you look at adverse child experiences, so they listed, um, like witnessing domestic violence, uh, single parent household, divorce, financial difficulty, uh, abuse, neglect, whatever these things were. If you experienced one of those, um, you had a 35% increase in the likelihood of adult antisocial behavior. Yeah. And then if you experienced more than one of those, that score went up again. Yeah. 35%, that's massive. And we're looking at the the outcomes of those were listed as substance abuse, teen pregnancy, 
risk-taking behaviors, vulnerability to depression, anxiety disorders, poorer health and earlier death. That's pretty depressing given that you didn't have a choice, like a choice or a chance to change what those experiences were. Yeah. Cause the other thing is people, people say, um, you might remember better than me because you've actually got some notes, but they, they spoke about, this might have been on a podcast, actually. <laughs> I was listening to the same the same guy, the author, Robert Sapolsky. Yeah. And he was saying that life is really, really long. And like over the course of a lifetime, like you've got so many opportunities to make it up. But actually it just widens the gap. Yeah. Because um, you're essentially giving them, um, what's the word? Like you're giving everyone else a head start, but then you're also shooting them in the leg of like, because yeah, yeah. it doesn't narrow the gap, it widens it over lifetime. There is a video that popped up on my social media of um, it was a sports coach running a race. And he said, right, before we start this race, uh, take a step forward if you have both parents. Take a step forward if you never had to get a job to find your family. Step forward if you went to um, to school until you were 18. Step forward if, you know, all these, these things. Yeah. Uh, and then he said, right, look around. This is life. Um you think that it's fair, but it's not. You are this far ahead of everybody else around you before you've even started. Yeah. And I personally, I quite like the idea. I, I would find that quite motivating to see other people ahead of me. I'm going to be like, right, I'm going to work harder to try and overtake you or overcome this obstacle. And I am I think I'm struggling to wrap my head around the fact that my thinking of that is not something that I've necessarily cultivated. It's just something that was always going to be there. Yeah, well, like based on his work, he he would argue that it's always been there. Yeah, and when you look at um, so there's only so many genes that can exist. Obviously, there's there's almost countless. Um, but when you look at the gene environment interactions, you're yeah. talking about aggression, and you know, you and I, let's say we have very different. Well, we had very similar, I think, upbringings. But if we had wildly different upbringing bringings and we looked at the um the genes that are expressed for aggression um it might be that if i was brought up in an environment where um there's a abusive surroundings perhaps a gang culture where violence was normal my aggressive gene would result in fighting behavior and sort of combative attitudes whereas yours uh the example that was given here was your aggressive is playing chess aggressively yeah yeah because that was your opportunity in your environment to demonstrate aggression was like the choices you oh, I can't even say choices you made the the things you did whilst playing chess, it was more aggressive there. So, you know, we're not necessarily saying that people have different genes. It's just the way in which they're expressed as a result of the environment. Yeah. Yeah. Go, going like, back to your point about um, agency and the illusion of free will, giving you a greater sense of agency. I'd 100% agree with that. Go on, tell me more. So that, that I think that, I don't think I think that's a useful mindset to have if you agree with the theory of there is no free will, but that illusion of free will giving you a sense a great sense of agency will probably lead to more positive emotion and feeling like you've accomplished things in life. Yeah, because um, that's what we want, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Well, that that's all of like the positive psychology work that Martin Seligman did, and I, yeah. So I don't think that's a bad mindset to have. It's just probably not the true reality of what's going on yeah um it got a bit sciencey at one point didn't it there were a lot of um abbreviations for areas the prefrontal cortex um which is sort of the newest part of our brain development 
Um, lots of people, I think, will have heard of Phineas Gage. Um, I'd certainly come across him when I was younger. Yeah. And he's the the railway worker who got a, a big stick through his head, basically, and it went through his prefrontal cortex. And he went from basically a very mild-mannered um, um, gentleman to an um sort of drinking, abusive behaviours, that sort of thing. And it's basically because the, the PFC was was damaged. And I I really enjoyed reading about um the PFC, which is essentially related to executive function and decision making, and how we could manipulate which bits of this were activated by depending on the task. So if I said to you, um like list the months from January through to December, you'll do that really easily. But then if we said, right, do it backwards from December to January and miss every other month, yeah, your PFC or a region of your PFC, I think it was the DLPFC or something, um, starts to kick in and, and makes you stop doing what you think you're about to do. So if I said do it, the immediate thought is like January, February, March, you're like, no, hang on, I can't do that. December, October, and it takes a lot more brain power to do it. So if you grow up in an environment where either those parts of your brain are suppressed or um, don't develop in the same way as somebody else, you don't have the ability to stop behaviors, to to change and to do something different. Mm-hmm. So if you're going down a path of risk-taking behaviors, uh, drinking, drugs, whatever it is, and you have a suppressed area of the prefrontal cortex, you don't have the the hardware to make the decisions to stop. And therefore the path that you end up going down isn't your fault because you don't have that bit of your brain that tells you to stop in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the, the other example that uh, Sam Harris used to give when he spoke about this topic was if you have a guy called Charles Whitman. No, I don't think I have actually. He, I've got no idea. I think it was in America however many years ago but he climbed up a clock tower and just started shooting people um but before that he was like i think he was a solicitor or something like you'd never ever put that put him down to do something like that but he left a note saying do an autopsy on me because there's something wrong with me and they found a tumor in his brain that was like pressing on the prefrontal cortex or something like that um and again like affected with his decision making so like he probably like he couldn't stop himself from doing that yeah, I've just found the um, the region is called the DLPFC. Um, and basically, if there's damage to that, so it sounds like this tumour was doing the same thing to him. Yeah. Um, you have impaired planning or gratification postponement. So that was the marshmallow test for kids, which I've always sort of thought was a bit of a stupid test. But it sounds like actually <laughs> it could be more important th- than we thought because a lot of scientists have debunked that in terms of future success, haven't they? So okay. for those... Yeah, so for those I thought, that don't... I thought that was still legit. The the marshmallow test is where you put a marshmallow in front of somebody. I think they have to be younger than five years old. Yeah, yeah. And you put one in front of them and say, if you wait 15 minutes, you get two. Yeah. And whether they can wait 15 minutes to get two or just eat it there and then determines how successful they'll be in later life, yeah. um, which is done by this, the the DLPFC, which is this area is known. Um yeah. And it's basically the part of the brain he sums it up quite nicely um, as the bit that says, I wouldn't do that if I was you. Yeah. And you, you basically have a brain that doesn't have that. And I sort of thought of it as a driving a car without brakes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like you, you don't have, but not just driving a car without brakes, 
never knowing that breaks existed in the first place. Yeah. Like literally never knowing that things could stop and you don't have to just keep going from um, gratification seeking behaviors one to the next to the next. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which then, when you read this, did it make you feel like slightly sad? I think I found it um, both. I think I found it sad, a bit depressing, and also a little bit comforting. Yeah. Um, yeah, like I guess something. I, I actually texted you this, didn't I? When I was, what did I text you? It was at the start, wasn't it? That you said it basically just made you feel depressed at the beginning. But I, I think I, I, I think mean, I'm I think actually saying it, was it is really depressing. Freeing. but At least if you know if everything goes to shit, at least you know it probably wasn't your fault, which is quite. Yeah. <laughs> it was something along those lines. <laughs> about to get it out, um, but I found it comforting recently. Like I said, I've it's been a difficult time, but it's not the first difficult time ever and it won't be the last yeah. but knowing that you sort of gone through it before i found it comforting to know that it will definitely get better yeah like yeah. It, it absolutely will because it has done before and it's not free will it's not a choice it will get better yeah yeah we spoke about that so uh, on getting out of a rut didn't we yeah um and i still believe that because you can change your environment that's the other thing about this it's although free will doesn't exist if you took somebody out of one environment and put them in another yeah. over time your brain will rewire and you will adapt to the environment you're in so actually yeah. well, that's just... the field of epigenetics that's what we, you were talking about with the different aggression um... yeah for sure um and the the statistic that he gave was something like five percent of your genes are um determining what you look like and whatever and the other 95 percent are like controllers yeah so they they say what switched on and what switched off depending on the environment you're in so if you change your environment you as a person will change yeah but then what i can't get my head around is like you've probably got no control whether you put yourself into that environment or not though <laughs> the decisions that... <laughs> but... the decisions that lead you to making that decision to change your environment is probably already determined as well yeah but you can stop it i think it if you... that, that's where this, this that's where this argument for free will can become like um what's the word just like go in circles yeah but you look the at previous step you'd argue is always determined by the previous step <clears throat> for sure but that doesn't mean you can't change it so we're looking at this dlpfc that basically says oh, i wouldn't do that if i was you let's say yeah. you've got a small amount of function of that part of your prefrontal cortex you could make a decision to not hang out with a certain group of people or to move your family to a different part of the country. You could make that decision before that part of your brain is completely screwed up, which then changes the environment you're in and changes the environment of your children, et cetera, et cetera. So although but it that, wasn't... But that, that's where I think I'm more on board with the there is no free will argument than you are. I feel yeah, like... I'm trying language, to find loopholes. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like from the language you use, you're like, you you can make the decision to do this and change your environment. Whereas I think so, I have more of the mindset where I'm like, you can do that, but whether you do that or not is already determined by the <laughs> genes and environment up until that point. Which doesn't mean you shouldn't like be like, no, I'm not going to make a decision to do that. You should still make decisions to do things and you're going to regardless of if you consciously make that decision or not. Yeah. It's it's so tough, isn't it? Yeah, it's, it's difficult. And that's why I found, yeah, that's why I found it quite depressing when I read it. 
So do you, yeah, you you're not fully on board with his argument yet, are you? I I think I'm not necessarily not on board, but what I'm trying to say with with that idea of changing your location is that your environment continues to change the genes that are expressed and who you are. So if I'm saying that I completely agree with it, then at the moment I have the ability, the predetermined ability to change where I live because that's in my brain and that's the environment that I live in where I I have that capability. Now let's say I lived in an area where I didn't have that environment and I was, my brain was starting to change. My hardware was starting to change to where I couldn't move away and it was predetermined that I was going to stay there and behave a certain way and do certain things before I reached that final point of brain change where there was no coming back there would be the ability to to shift lanes that's still a predetermined shift that's not something that I've necessarily had control of yeah but my brain hasn't like fully switched over to being in one camp or the other does that make sense Say it one more time. So let's say you live on the left and I live on the right. And the right is, I grew up on the left, but for, you know, through predetermined factors, I now exist in the right. Yeah. But before my brain has fully adapted to being on the right. Yeah. I kind of have this, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get what you're saying. The left. Yeah. So it's predetermined. It still existed in my brain, but if I'd waited two more years, then that to go back to the left would not have been an option for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I get what you mean. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I, I still I still feel like that because I go through the same thought process because I'm like, oh yeah, but then what about if you do that and then you always come back to well that was probably already determined as well by the previous steps before it. Yeah, I think this. I mean, it's it's absolutely fascinating, and I've tried to talk about it with other people. I'm like, oh, I've read this really exciting uh, book. It's it's about this, and they're like shut up yeah <laughs> like, the, the classic is like what do you mean there's no free will obviously yeah, there is i choose yeah to do of, of course yeah. i choose to do this and yeah and trying to explain that we don't but that doesn't whilst we've said maybe it's a bit depressing it doesn't have to take the enjoyment out of things like you're just predetermined to enjoy certain things that doesn't make them less enjoyable it just means that you're made up to enjoy those things yeah do you know another really interesting example is um is it called semaglutin or semaglutide you know the weight loss drug. Well, I haven't come across that one. So it, that what were those hormones we were talking about earlier? Leptin and ghrelin. Leptin and ghrelin, yeah. So I think it regulates your leptin levels. So and yeah. people are losing loads and loads of weight on it. Um, and if you took that as an example, because you could say, oh, but they're they're making the choice to take that drug and then that's regulating their biology which is then making them lose weight so they've like made a choice to lose weight but then all of the stuff up until that point is still been determined by all the previous steps before it yeah absolutely that's like the, the same thing for a non-healthy option would be alcoholics yeah 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 you know they all the things that led to the steps to them having the drink is predetermined yeah even though that alcohol then you know, suppresses the PFC further, it was predetermined that that snowball would be pushed over the edge in the first place. Yeah. yeah. There we go. But I, th- I think it is, yeah, it's a hard conversation to have and then people, but people don't want to hear that. No, want they don't. To feel like they've got that sense of agency. Yeah, and I don't think we can take that away from people because otherwise no one's going to listen to a future episode because <laughs> <laughs> whenever we tell someone to make a change, they'll be like, no, nah, I can't, no free will. <laughs>
<laughs> yeah, the, it's a, yeah, it's a hard argument. It is. Did, you, did uh, you make up any other notes? Or was that about as far as you, as far as you that, got? That, that was about as far as I got, to be honest. But I'm I'm excited to keep reading it. Like I'm genuinely engaged by this book and this topic. Yeah, it, I I would encourage everyone to go and read it. It's a really difficult read, but I, th- I think if you can get through it. Yeah, and obviously we're giving a fantastic summation of all the um all the facts and all the arguments as always. Yeah. Um so so stick with us on this one because there's there's a few more parts to this and I think we need to keep it quite short and quite concise because anyone who says this is easily digestible, it's not. Yeah, and if we don't keep it short and concise, we'll just end up confusing each other, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> We'll leave that episode there for today. So, um, yeah, tune in next week. We'll continue our discussion about free will. Um, we might see you there. We might not. You've yeah. got no choice. You've got no choice. <laughs> <laughs> Outstanding. See you next time. See you next time.